Thank you for joining me on today's Christian Talk, The Bridge. I'm Monica Klein, and this is The Monica Klein Show. I am one of the nation's foremost experts on comprehensive sex education, and I have answers to the tough issues we are facing today. My goal is to encourage parents to reclaim parenthood and in doing so become their children's greatest advocates and educators. I have a full show today, so grab a cup of your favorite coffee or tea and let's talk about what matters today. So we have been cooped up at home. I understand uh, COVID-19 has kept us quarantined in our homes and things are very different in our community today. Uh, Many of uh, people are feeling that this is a time of refinement. A lot of my Christian friends are thinking, wow, I um, am at home, and all of a sudden I'm just realizing that there are some priorities that I have not really made priority in my life. And, And so they're finding that their time with their children, their time with their spouses has become much more important. Um, And I've noticed this in my neighborhood as well. You know, I have a very active neighborhood. Families are always walking, riding their bikes. Kids are going to the pool. And, and, you know, they're just as active now, but something's changed. Now the parents and the children are walking together. Now the parents and the children are cycling together. Um, I see parents, you know, dads, you know, I don't always see dads, unfortunately, walking with their kids, but now I see whole families walking with their kids, dangling toddlers up in the air, and they're just laughing and giggling, and they're having a great time. And so that's wonderful. But I also know that there's a lot of families who are so worried and concerned about finances and different things that are affecting them during this time. And so I want you guys to know that I'm praying for each and every one of you. Be praying for each other. Um, start calling one another. Do do whatever you need to do to cope during this time. I know some of the things I've been doing is my husband and I recently got an Alexa, and I have been asking, uh, I, I shout out, Alexa, put on some Ray Barreto, which is salsa music, and I just start dancing around in the living room. Um, and, you know, we're doing anything we need to to just kind of really uh, cope with the situation. Um, call family and friends on the phone, listen to their voices, go outside and walk for a little bit. Uh, So just know, just be praying for one another and stay in contact with another, especially if you know that there's some single parents in your life or people who don't have other people living with them. Make sure you contact them during this time. Um, What we're finding, you know, I was looking on the Texas Health and Human Services website, and I saw that in, you know, all the numbers of infections throughout the state of Texas, and I found that just yesterday, and you can look it up today, we have two cases in Austin. Um, so to me, that was, you know, good news of two infections in Austin. It's, it's not a huge problem. Y'all are doing a great time, a great job just quarantining yourself. So um, you can always go to Texas uh, Health and Human Services to look at those numbers if you want to. Um, but also, what was really interesting is that we know that our governor has you know, let us know that some things are not essential. Uh, and, and including that was um, some non-essential surgeries, which included abortion. So we saw that basically 
uh, we're able, uh, Texas had put a stop to abortion services, not considered essential, really to conserve the, um, the PPE and to ensure that our, all of our health care providers had access to PPE. Um, of course, I don't know if you heard about this, but but uh, there was an uproar from the abortion community about it. And so they actually were able to, on Monday, um, dissolve that and, and make it so that abortion could be provided during this time. Um, but very quickly, our attorney general, um, Ken Paxton, was able to rescind that again and ensure that the women are safe during this time. You know, one of the things that I would like you to look at is an organ uh, is a website called Check My Clinic. Uh, Check My Clinic actually pulls information from different um, city health departments to find out what the inspections are like for abortion clinics, and you will be surprised how unsanitary many of those clinics are. So abortion, as we know, is not essential. Abortion, as we know, is ending the life of a child. Uh, and at the same time, it is. it turns out that even the abortion clinics are not very sanita- sanitary. Uh, so I just would love for y'all to be praying about that. Um, but I'm just really proud of our leaders here in Texas who are taking a stand uh, and ensuring that the health of all Texans is of the utmost priority. Now, another thing on the news that I found fascinating is that we have this quarantine. Um, and I'm noticing that that really in many places, they're taking it a little far. Uh, for example, um, in Florida, a pastor was jailed for holding church. Pastor Rodney Howard Brown arrested for holding church service uh, for defying safer at home order. Uh, now, what was interesting about this is that um, how many other people have been arrested for maybe not staying home or going to work? It's interesting that they went this far with a Christian pastor to actually put him in jail. I thought that was a little, that was, you know, what is going on here? What is, what, I can't help but think that that was a real um, attack on, on our faith. Um, now, the church themselves admitted that they had invested over $100,000 in an air purification system that specifically said that it would actually um, filter out any viruses, including COVID-19. Um, they had gloves. They were six feet apart from each other, and they were worshiping together. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, what is going on? What is going on when one of our own pastors who is worshiping when is, with his congregation is being jailed? Um, so th- that was something that just really blew my mind. But I do want you to know in the state of Texas, the governor has said that uh, worship time in churches is essential. But I do know that many of our Texas churches are taking great precautions, including my own church, uh, so that we are going online. Uh, we have online services, and now we're even doing online Bible studies on Wednesday nights. So um, I appreciate that all the churches here in Texas are, are taking all of the steps that they can to keep our people safe. 
I think another thing on the news that I thought was really amazing and, and also a great story about a Christian business owner is Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. Um, it was amazing how he had decided that he wanted to, um, if you don't know much about his life, you have to read up on him. He became a Christian and overcame addiction to drugs and started this company. Um, he's also a great supporter uh, and donated to the movie Unplanned by Abby Johnson. So a story about Abby Johnson. So he has been giving back to the community in so many ways. And now he has committed himself to making 50,000 masks for the healthcare providers a day. Um, it's amazing what he has done. President Trump invited him to speak in the Rose Garden. And it was just wonderful to see how this businessman, who's also a Christian, um, had decided to sacrifice a big part of his business to make sure that our healthcare providers had the mass that they needed. Um, so there was some controversy about that, though, because this is what Mike Lindell said at the Rose Garden. God gave us grace on November 8, 2016, to change the course we are on, Lindell said. God had been taken out of our schools and lives. A nation had turned its back on God. I encourage you to use this time at home to get back in the Word, read your Bibles, and spend time with our families. Um, that created such controversy in the media, a man sharing his faith, uh, a man deciding to help his country and to help the citizens of, the, of this country, whether they're a people of faith or not. He's doing his part, sharing his faith, um, and he was ridiculed for it. But I'm really uh, grateful that President Trump really recognized him and is appreciative of the work that he's doing. Now, I know a lot of you parents are going through this huge transition because you have your kids at home right now. Uh, they, If they go to public school, that means they are now doing online school. What I hear is happening is that they're meeting with their teachers in the morning and then again in the afternoon for some lessons. And I'm also seeing online and on Facebook how all, you know, so many parents are now saying, oh, my goodness, I'm homeschooling now. This is really, really hard. Um, so let me clarify something for you. I have a friend named Laura who does homeschool, and she posted something awesome on Facebook. And it was really to let all the parents know that now that you're doing school at home, to be kind to yourself because this really isn't homeschooling. It's really not the way homeschoolers usually do homeschool. This is kind of like crisis homeschooling. You know, you've been forced into it. So she's was really talking about having grace on your family, having grace on yourself, because this is a very different situation. But I love the encouragement that she shared that it's really about family time. It's about getting to know your kids on a deeper level, getting to see their minds work and how they learn. It's making memories and it's slowing down when things need to slow down. So it's really reprioritizing and, and making sure that God is first in your family, that family is next and everything else comes last, even school. Uh, so she's just really asking, you know, a lot of these 
um, moms who have found themselves teaching their kids at school to just slow down a little bit and connect with your kids. And really, you know, what I usually say is just be curious about your children. Discover who they are. They are so unique, unique from us. So just take the time to see how they learn, how they play, how they interact, and enjoy this time with your children. Um, It's a really tough mental shift to go from school to home. It is. So have grace and and know that we're praying for you during this time. So um, one of the things that I, I called my stepdaughters to see how they were doing being at home with the kids. And, you know, one of my stepdaughters said, you know, this is just not the way. Um, you know, my oldest grandson, she's like, this is not the way he learns. He doesn't learn by looking at something online. He doesn't learn by just listening on this video. And it's really frustrating him. And he's his confidence is starting to decrease. Now, I love that my stepdaughter knew her son enough to know that this was not his learning style. And that it wasn't that he was throwing a tantrum because he didn't want to be part of school. It was mostly that this is not the way he learns. And he was getting really frustrated because he felt he was failing. So she had grace on him and grace on their family. And she made some adjustments to ensure that he is confident and that he is still learning. And so once again, moms, just have some grace um, on yourselves and on your kids during this time. Again, from at the beginning, I mentioned that I feel like this is a time of refinement for all of us in our homes. Um, but I also want to be uh, just know, be praying for one another because this is a huge adjustment. I found myself getting sad. You know, I work from home. So uh, I, I at first, I really didn't think that this was going to be a huge adjustment for me. But next thing I know, I started to feel sad. Uh, which was really unusual for me, which is why I started playing music and dancing. And now I'm taking long walks and I'm do you know, I'm calling my family where usually I used to text them. Now I want to hear their voices. My stepdaughter told me when all this is over, all she wants to do is kiss everybody, <laughs> which we said was not appropriate. But, you know, she was just trying to express that how much she misses that human interaction But also, like I said before, please be praying for some of those families who are having a difficult time with this and offer your support where you can. Um, I know that there's been some reports of some, you know, domestic violence and, and child abuse has been increasing during this time. So our families desperately need our prayers and desperate, desperately need resources to help them during this time. Now, um, we're going to take a little break in a bit, but I'm just so I'm just so glad that you're listening to the Monica Klein show. And when we come back, we're going to talk about something a little more um, sensitive. And so we're going to be talking about Austin ISD and sex education. And I really want to tell you more about the philosophy behind sex education. So please keep the children away during this segment. Um, This is really just for adult ears. Welcome back to the Monica Klein Show on today's Christian Talk, The Bridge. So today I want to talk about uh, Austin ISD and sex education. Many of you have heard about the graphic sex education that was approved by the school board October of 2019. Many of you know that families, many families, hundreds really of families showed up the night of the vote to 
convince the board to not vote it in. So I was one of those families. I was one of the people there. Uh, I was part of the press conference with Texas Values and Stand Up for Children Coalition with Carol Ayala. uh, Carol Ayala is with Concerned Parents of Texas. And I was there with them, fighting that with them. And it was really astounding and shocking to see how the concerns for our children, the concerns expressed by hundreds of parents fell on deaf ears. And if anything, we were reprimanded by the board for being hateful people. Um, And really, there wasn't a single thing of hate that was spoken that night. It was all concern for the children. And, And in all honesty, it's a concern that I have for all children, regardless of the values of the family, regardless of how the child identifies, I believe that graphic sex education sexualizes children, and it's not healthy for any child. And I was able to communicate that to lots of parents there, including some of the parents who wanted uh, this graphic sex education, and primarily they wanted it because their children identified with another gender or because their child identified with same-sex attraction. And I wasn't going to argue that with them at that time, but I did argue this point, that the sexualization of children is unhealthy for any child, regardless of how they identify. And that's why I want to talk about sex education. Now, there is a lot to share about sex education. So today on the show... I want to talk more about the philosophy behind the sex education. So what you may not know about me already, and you can learn more about me on my website, monicacline.com, is I am a former comprehensive sex educator. I was trained by the gay community as well as by Planned Parenthood. And after working with them for over 10 years, I had my own conversion and I did become a Christian. And once I became a Christian, I began to see with God's eyes what this education was doing to children and to adults and to whole communities. And I knew, I knew it was unhealthy. And when I challenged this view uh, with my coworkers and my superiors, they quickly let me know that if I was not pro-abortion, I did not belong there. So let me start off by really telling you more about the philosophy behind comprehensive sex education. And throughout the different shows, I'll be sharing more about it. And just a quick reminder, if there are children present, I'm not going to be graphic here. I'm not going to be disrespectful, but I don't believe that this is a topic that your children should be listening to. This is for parents only. So I'll just give you a little bit of time here to either uh, get the kids ready in the other room to to play or, or be watched by someone else someone else while you're while you're listening to the show. But I want to start off by talking about how I was taught. Uh, to teach this kind of education. And so basically, when I was taught by Planned Parenthood, I had a one-on-one training with the head of education there at, at the Planned Parenthood on 6th Street in Austin, Texas. And she quickly let me know that when I walk into a room of school-age children, my job is to assume that they have done anything and everything when it comes to sex. And if they haven't, they will. And that it's my job to teach them about all forms of sex and how they can reduce their risk of HIV or unplanned pregnancy. Now, that's a term that I want you to remember, reduce the risk. There are two health approaches Uh, for health education. And that is risk reduction education and risk avoidance education. 
you're already familiar with these public health approaches because they've been utilized in other areas of health. For example, don't smoke um, to stop smoking, right? Don't smoke. Don't do drugs. That is all risk avoidance. It's basically saying don't do that behavior that is putting your health at risk. Just don't do it. Avoid the risk. That is called a primary health approach. It is the best approach because if you avoid the high-risk behavior, then you're going to avoid the negative impact that it will have on your body or your mind. But for some reason, sex education in our country has primarily taken the approach of risk reduction, which is stay involved in the sexual activity, or we're just going to assume that you are sexually active, and we just want to teach you how to reduce the risk. And that is a very dangerous uh, approach to be taking with school-age children. But that is exactly the education that the school board voted into Austin ISD. They voted in sex education that has a beautiful title called Comprehensive Sex Education. It sounds healthy, but what it really is, is it's using a risk reduction approach. It is taking this premise or this belief that your children are already sexually active, and if they not, they will be, And this approach is to teach them how to continue being sexually active and reducing the risk by using barrier methods or hormonal contraception or other things uh, to help them reduce the risk. Now, because this education knows that um, they know that the child is still at risk of contracting disease or having an unplanned pregnancy, the next lesson is to then teach them to go into a clinic and get tested because they know that these risk reduction methods will eventually fail. And so part of the education is to teach children how to access the health system without parents' knowledge. And they teach them about their legal rights of accessing health care without parents' knowledge. So first, they assume your child is already sexually active, and if not, they will be. Number two, they introduce them to all forms of sexual behavior. Number three, they teach them how to reduce the risk. Number four, they teach them how to access health care because they know eventually they probably will get a disease or have an unplanned pregnancy. So then they give them referrals to go to Planned Parenthood or to the STD clinic. They encourage them to get treated for any diseases. And then they encourage them to have abortions, all without parental knowledge. And so part of the philosophy of sex education is number one, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's because I really want you to understand this, is that they believe that every school-age child is going to be sexually active if they're not already. And they believe that it's a sexual right, a human right, uh, for them to be able to express themselves sexually. And so you're thinking, now, how do you know, Monica, that this is a, that they consider this a sexual right? Okay, well, you can look up an organization called SECUS. Um, and what they do is that they talk about advancing sex education for social change. And if you look on their website, that's part of their mission, that they've been doing this since 1964. Now, on this radio show today, I don't have time to tell you the history of SECUS and all of the people involved in this, but I'm probably going to interview a few people to help you understand what all this means. So let's just focus on this. SECUS 
is uh, their mission is to advance sex education for social change in 1964 since 1964. Now, social change means that they want things to change from traditional nuclear family. When they say so- social change, what they're really saying is that they don't believe the nuclear family is uh, is no is is just not relevant anymore. It's no longer relevant to save sex for marriage. It's no longer relevant to have one mother, one father. They want social change. They want to redefine family. They want to redefine family and marriage and sexuality. So they go on to say that they believe that sex education is a powerful vehicle for social change and that it is uh, sexuality is a fundamental part of being human. Now, what's, what's really interesting here is that when we go look in the Bible, we know that in, in the book of Genesis, the enemy uses a little bit of truth and twists it so that we're a little bit confused. And so unless we know the word of God in our hearts and in our mind, we can fall prey to the twisting of truth. And so they add a little bit of truth. So is sexuality a fundamental part of, of a human being? Well, I mean, we know that God created sex. We know that sexual intimacy happens between a man and a wife, a, a husband and a wife, right? So we know that that's a little bit true. But then they start to uh, to twist things a little bit. They start to talk about how we should have reproductive freedom and that we should be able to define, define it for ourselves. So they're basically telling us in their vision that they believe in sexual freedom. They believe that every individual can define sexuality for themselves. In other words, they want to reject the definition um, that God has created or God's design for sex. And they want to teach it to you, to your children through comprehensive sex education in the schools. So what Austin ISD has is comprehensive sex education that is influenced by CECUS. Now, people are thinking, but Monica, shouldn't we be inclusive? Shouldn't this, you know, this is neutral? No, it is not neutral. And it's not inclusive because... People of faith, children of faith, and families of faith are not being represented by this kind of education. But not just that. If we were to just simply look at the health data, we can also see that this education is encouraging children to be involved in high-risk behavior that affects their minds, their emotions, and their bodies. It is a burden that our children do not um, have the capability or the maturity, both physically or emotionally, to handle. So already, risk reduction education or comprehensive sex education is already um, unhealthy for our children, regardless of whether they are of a Christian faith or not. One of the, the other things that they talk about is um, that that it's that sexual health and reproductive health, which really means having sex, is a human right. So I want you to think about human rights for a little bit. When we think of human rights, we think that there must be an oppressor, right? So there must be an oppressor that is stepping on the rights of an individual. So when we talk about sex as a human right, what are we saying? That what they're saying is that they believe that children are sexual from birth. And I want to really challenge you with that. I've even met some Christians who say, well, it's true. We are sexual from birth because we're born with reproductive parts. God doesn't say that we're sexual from birth. God did create sex. And yes, we are born with our reproductive system. It does not make us sexual, though. 
God does tell us, though, that we're relational. So I want to challenge you with that, is that words are so important, how we use our words, how we define things. So I want to challenge you that to, to no longer say that we're sexual from birth, but instead we are relational from birth. But when they when CICAS and this whole movement of comprehensive sex education talks about the sexual rights and human rights, uh, and they and they apply that to children, and so they're basically saying children have a right to know themselves sexually and to experience uh, their sexuality in a positive way, or even pleasure. Um, so who who in all of this world would disagree with that? Who believes? Uh, that children should not experience sex at a young age. And I think you're thinking the same thing I am. It's usually the parent, right? Parents. Parents don't want their children um, experiencing that in childhood. So basically, when Sika says that children are sexual from birth and that they have sexual rights, then they're basically saying there's an oppressor out there that's trying to keep children from their sexual rights, which means it's the parent. The parent is the problem. Now, you're probably thinking, Monica, you're going too far. Well, let me tell you this. I was a comprehensive sex educator for over 10 years. And in those 10 years, working closely with Planned Parenthood, there is one thing that they always said to me. Listen closely. Parents are a barrier to service. That's what they would tell me. At every conference, at every workshop that I led, they always complained about parents. They always said that as soon as a parent finds out that their child is accessing services at Planned Parenthood, that parent who has a natural instinct to protect their child will keep that child from ever coming back to the Planned Parenthood again. So the clinicians were telling me that it was really important to ensure that parents didn't know that children were coming to the clinic. So they themselves admitted that to me, which is why I created an organization called It Takes a Family, because I began to understand that when Planned Parenthood says that parents are a barrier to service, let me let me uh, unravel that language for you. That means that parents are powerful. Parents are the key to protecting their children. But for some reason, many parents have abdicated their responsibility about sex education to the public schools or to whatever the kids are going to listen to on the internet or, or, or anywhere. And we cannot do that. We cannot take a passive stance on this anymore. We must become educated and learn how to speak to our children about sex in a way that, in the same way that God speaks to us about sex, the way he designed it. You know, when I spoke to my son about sex, I had already left comprehensive sex education. I had rejected all of that, and I had become a pro-life speaker. And I was speaking life into my son. And when he got older and started asking questions, um, and we finally got to the point where, yes, I did let him know how babies were made. And, And I could tell he really didn't like the answer, and I don't blame him. But then I went on and said, you know, this is what I really want you to understand about intimacy between a husband and a wife. And I really described to him about how a husband and a wife are best friends. I mean, they, they're supposed to, they're, they have each other's back. I mean, this person is someone in your life that you will always be 
uh, can always depend on. This person is supposed to be there for you no matter what. They're with you when you mourn. They're with you when you celebrate. Um, They're the person that you can trust. Ideally, that's what we want in a marriage. And I talked to him about that intimacy and that no one else in the world would know you like your spouse would know you and how special that was. And I noticed that he kind of, you know, was just staring at me. And I thought, okay, this is probably going over his head because he's too young. Um, and, you know, and, and I said, oh, well, we can, we can stop the conversation and move on. And he said, no, mom. And he looked at me and he said, mom, that sounds amazing. And what was amazing about it is it had nothing to do with the physical act. It had everything to do with intimacy. The intimacy that we have with the Lord, the intimacy that a husband and and wife have with each other, that is what we need to be teaching our children. And yes, we need to be medically accurate, but we need to be medically accurate with our children um, in ways that honors them depending on their age. You don't share with a third grader what you would share with a, a ninth grader. And so those are the kind of things that it takes a family strives to do is to educate and equip parents to know how to speak to their children in a God-honoring way about their bodies and about marriage and relationships and, yes, even about intimacy. But going back to what comprehensive sex education is doing is that their philosophy about our children is very distorted. And so I want you to be really careful. And, you know, as we go into more shows, I will share more about this. And you can also learn more about this on ItTakesAFamily.org so that you can truly understand what the sex education is about. Now, here's something that's very revealing. So recently I decided to find out um, who certifies educators to become comprehensive sex educators. And I found an organization called the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Now, when you go to their website, it almost feels like you're about to get a PhD in comprehensive sex education. It is very thorough. And they also have conferences. Now, I want to share what they say about their conference with you, and I think it's very revealing because when comprehensive sex educators uh, try to sell comprehensive sex education to parents in the schools, they always say, oh, this doesn't sexualize the children. It's just medically accurate. It doesn't make them want to have sex. It's just medically accurate. It's just health education. Many parents are saying, absolutely not. This is very sexual. Um, This isn't appropriate. And so that's the constant battle. But here's something that's very revealing about uh, the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. They're having a conference this summer. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to have it, of course, because of COVID-19. But they revealed something about themselves and this education. So at this conference, they're going to be talking in detail about comprehensive sex education and sexuality. And if you just even look at the topics, you'll know that this is not a conference that you really want to attend. But they have a section on professional conduct and guidelines. And this is what they say. Members are well acquainted with the crucial importance of consent in healthy sexuality. Consent means giving a yes, by the way. And they are basically um, trying to emphasize that we should maintain good boundaries on a daily basis. 
we invite conference attendees to be thoughtful and respectful about their conversations in public places. What may be routine conversation for us as professionals is not likely to be for others. So they're admitting that it's this is, you know, can be pretty racy or inappropriate and to be careful what you say and where. But this is even more revealing. They say here that Let's see. We trust you will commit to respect and maintain good boundaries. We expect that our conference will be safe environment for learning and networking. Fostering the type of conference experience requires members to not assume that because we are gathered to discuss and learn about sexuality, this automatically means a person is consenting to questions about their personal sexual intimate experience or histories or open to sexual advances. So basically, they're admitting that because they're talking about this highly sexual content, they're warning each other to not make sexual advances to each other. Nor, let me read more, nor does it mean that a person is welcoming comments about their body and appearance. Our hope is that members will engage with each other in ways that honor each other. So they're trying to say, please honor each other. They also warn them that if you experience sexual harassment, to report it. Okay, so how many conferences have you been to where the conference has to warn you that you need to respect each other's boundaries and not to make sexual advances on each other? Why do you think they have to say this? Why? Because it is a highly sexualized environment. They're creating a highly sexualized environment that is triggering people to make sexual advances on one another. So if these adults are admitting that this highly sexualized content at this conference will put them at risk of unwanted sexual advances, can you imagine what that would be like in elementary school, middle school, and high school? You got it. It's highly sexualized. It's highly graphic. And we've already received reports from young children saying that because of this sex education, boys and girls alike are talking about it in the hallway. They're joking about it. And in many ways, they're unknowingly, because they're not mature, are sexually harassing each other. Comprehensive sex education is not healthy for any child, regardless of how they identify, sexualizing children, regardless of their faith, regardless of how they identify, is never a good idea. All children deserve to be protected, and comprehensive sex education puts them at risk, does not protect them. So I really, um, if you have any questions, of course, I want you to email me at monica at ittakesafamily.org. And I would be happy to answer your questions. I'm also happy to meet with parents and do table talks, anything that would help you to equip yourself to combat this kind of education in your school, but also for you to learn more about how you can respond to your children and talk about these topics at home. I don't believe that you should be graphic with your children, but I do believe that parents should be educated on today's culture so that you can respond because unfortunately we do, 
I mean, it's not unfortunately, but we live in the world and both adults and children will be exposed to things that we may not understand. And I want every parent to be equipped and educated to be able to respond appropriately to their child about some of this information without becoming emotional or without becoming angry. Because as soon as we do that, they're not going to talk to us again. So we want, I want to help you to build trust in your family and great communication skills. And I want you, mom and dad, to be a leader in your home to talk about these things. And if you're a single parent and feeling like, oh, I'm a mom and I have a son, I can't talk about these things. That's not true. I actually was a single mother for nine years with a son. And you can have these conversations with your children. We are the stewards over our children, and it's our responsibility to teach them and to teach them appropriately. And as Christians, to teach them the will of God and his design for our bodies and our relationships and for marriage and for intimacy. And I want to help prepare you to be that leader. Now, we're going to come back to the segment um, in a little bit, and we're going to take a quick little break. And what I'm going to do, though, is to end the segment, I really want to talk about God's design for family and just give you some encouragement. And, And I'm excited for that. So we'll see you soon. Welcome back to the Monica Klein Show, where we're talking about the philosophy of sex education. Uh, We're here on today's Christian Talk, The Bridge. And I want to end the show today talking about God's design for intimacy and family and parenting and how he's really called us to be leaders in our home talking about these topics with our children. Now, many times when I've done presentations about sex education, I'm talking, you know, I educate parents on the difference between comprehensive sex education and sexual risk avoidance. And risk avoidance, obviously, is avoiding sexual behavior until marriage or until they're adults. I mean, in our case, as people of faith, of course, we're going to tell our children to wait until marriage. Um, And so when I talk about that, I also ask parents lots of questions, like, for example, what keeps you from talking to your children about intimacy, about sex? And they start answering like, well, it's very graphic and it's so awkward and, and oh, goodness, we have to talk about this and that and this type of sex and that type of sex. And I, I allowed these parents, it was, it, I was doing this presentation in Oklahoma, and I allowed them to, to just really tell me everything they thought about why this was such a difficult topic. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that it's so graphic and so awkward And really, they didn't want to share that kind of information with their children because they're innocent and they're right. Your children are innocent, even if they've been exposed to something online, even if they heard something at the school. Your child still deserves to be innocent and be protected. Just because they were exposed to something doesn't take away their innocence. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden they can handle, you know, graphic information. No, we still need to protect them. But I challenged these parents that day and I said, okay, so you've told me about all the reasons you don't want to do this. And a lot of it has to do with not wanting to share graphic information. I said, so who told you to share graphic information? And they were silent. And those parents almost look like the little kids that I used to teach. And they look so, so innocent all of a sudden. I said, you know, we have been deceived by the world into believing 
that we're supposed to teach our children graphic information about sex, that we're just supposed to throw them in there and force it on them. And I want us to take our lesson from God. And in Genesis, how does he describe the relationship between Adam and Eve? And how does he describe how Adam and Eve came together and started having children? All he said was that Adam knew Eve. That's all he said. He really honored their bodies. He honored their intimacy. He honored their privacy. He was not graphic. And I don't believe that you need to be graphic. And I tell you what, I raised my son very well. I taught him about boundaries and privacy and his body. And as he got older, yes, we talked about babies and I was medically accurate. And I told him the truth about all things, but never was I graphic. And never did I share things with him that he didn't need to know at that particular age. As a matter of fact, I actually use this little tidbit. It might be helpful to you. When he started asking me questions about his body and different things, because it's natural. Of course, kids are going to ask about their bodies, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Of course, they're going to have changes in their bodies and desires even, their feelings as they're going into puberty or through puberty. And what I told my son is, well, great. That means you're healthy. God wants you to go through this phase in your life. Everything is working exactly as it's supposed to work. I say you're perfectly healthy. So none of those things are wrong. None of those things are shameful. But even when he was younger, I did say, okay, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm only going to answer it as much as I believe you need to know at this time of your life. But even if my answer, if, if my answer makes you feel a little uncomfortable and you don't want to hear anymore, This is what I told him to do. I said, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to say, that's enough, mom. And I'll respect that and we'll stop talking about this and we'll move on to something else. And so he would ask me a question about his body. I would only respond in the way that I thought he needed to know at that time, not divulging too much information, just what he needed at that moment. And I would say that about three times in his life, He held up his little hand and he said, that's enough, mom, because he had an internal inhibition that he knew that was enough. That was more than he wanted to know. And this also modeled to my son that I respected his boundaries. And so and we want to teach our children that we want them to understand that there are boundaries, that there are some things that can be said to them and some things that cannot Some things can be done to them and some things cannot. Um, And so you as a parent want to model that to your child. And so my son was, and I would point it out to him. I said, see, Ebri, that's my son's name, Ebri. Do you realize that if I respect your boundary, you felt uncomfortable. and, And what I was saying wasn't bad, but you felt uncomfortable. You decided to say that was enough. And it was, and I stopped and I respected that. So that means that people outside of our home, teachers or strangers or other family members or anybody, they need to respect your boundaries too. And if someone doesn't respect your boundaries, you need to tell me right away. It's very important because I will always protect you and I'm your greatest advocate. 
And I'm, I'm my number one priority is to protect you and love you. So always come to me. And he understood that. So, and you can use that with your child. And so, and that's really important because I don't believe God wants us to be graphic with our children, but I do believe we can be medically accurate and we can still provide the information that our children need in a God honoring way, in a way that honors them as well. And so this is the important piece is having scripture ready for your children and also knowing what God has asked us to do. So in Deuteronomy 6, 4, um, he tells us, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children This is the important part, right? Well, all of it's important, but for parents, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, this reverence that we have for God and his truths and his word, we are to be sharing that with our children throughout our lives, not just through a, a Bible study, not not just through a devotional, but every day, and especially during these conversations about their body. I always mentioned God when my, my son asked about his body, you know, and he'd say, well, what's happening here? And I would say, well, you know what? God made you that way. And it's perfectly normal. And it's perfectly fine. It doesn't mean you need to share too much information. Just assure them that his body is normal and it's functioning just the way it needs to be and that he's healthy and to keep asking you questions Um, or if you have a daughter, you know. So uh, another thing that I want to talk about is um, in Ephesians, he tells us, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God is teaching us that we are the teachers, we are the trainers, and we are to provide the instruction of the Lord to our children. We are our children's primary educators, and we are their primary advocates in their lives. We are the stewards assigned by God to our children, whether you, these are your biological children or whether you adopted Whatever the circumstance, he has given you that responsibility. And he calls us to not exasperate our children, but to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord and to do it throughout the day as we're washing dishes, as we're walking outside, uh, wherever the situation may come. Be praying that the Holy Spirit will bring scripture to your mind to share with your children at the right time. Now, I also want to talk into the lives of parents who feel I've, I've had a lot of parents talk to me about, well, Monica, am I not a hypocrite to tell my children to wait until marriage or all of these wonderful things when I didn't do it myself? You know, I I sinned in my past. Am I not a hypocrite if, if I say that I want my child to do these these things instead? And, and here's my answer to that is I, I not only 
taught comprehensive sex education, but I lived it. This was all before I became a Christian. But as soon as I became a Christian and God started to change me, he began to show me his will for my life uh, as a woman, as a woman of God, as a future wife. And this, and so this is what I say, is that we know what we, where we have been, and there's no need to share with our children the details of that. But we have learned our lessons from that. And now as Christians, we know the way that we should go. And as a steward over our children, our responsibility is to teach them what is best for them. Even people of faith, you know, know this, is that we want to teach our children uh, in ways that will enable them to be even better than us. I mean, that's the desire of a parent is that our children are even better than us. But I do know that many of you may be feeling um, almost chained down by your past. And I want to help you to know that God wants you to to be released from that. And so I want to take you to Isaiah 52, where he says, Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit in throne, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. Daughter Zion, now a captive. You know, this Isaiah 52 uh, verses 1 and 2 spoke to me so much when I was a single mother uh, and when I had just become a Christian, knowing that God was telling me to shake off the dust and to remove the shackles from my body and to sit enthroned as a daughter of God, because that is who you are. So if you need to use that scripture and replace Zion with your name, go for it. Um, Pray this scripture into your life. Another great scripture that God gave me that helped me as a single parent is Isaiah 54. The whole chapter is amazing. Um, But I want to read verses 13, 14, and 17 to you. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication for me, declares the Lord. And this was important to me as a single mom and as a new Christian, someone who had a past that a past that was not in the will of God. This was important because when you start walking in God's will and you start teaching your children the will of God, the enemy will come and attack you. And you need to know and pray the scripture that he is there with you and helping you. So I hope that that was an encouragement for you. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me on the Monica Klein Show on today's Christian Talk the Bridge. And I look forward to the next episode. To get a hold of me, you can reach me at monica at ittakesafamily.org. And to get more information about It Takes a Family, please go to my website, ittakesafamily.org. I have a lot of great information there and some videos that I think you'll find really helpful. But I also have a lot of research. So let me tell you a little bit about me. 
I believe in the truth of God and scripture, and I want to use that to help you know how to speak to your children about marriage and intimacy and relationships. But I also believe in data. So I want to equip you with not only the word of God, but also research that helps you understand Um, What's effective out there? What works with the children and what doesn't? Uh, I want you to know the truth about today's culture and today's um, just health information that you need to know. And so you can find all of that on ItTakesAFamily.org under my resources page. And feel free to contact me through my email at Monica at ItTakesAFamily.org.